Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm Glossy Senior Reporter Hillary Milnes, and with me this week is Tracy Sun, the co-founder of Poshmark. Thank you so much for joining us, Tracy. Thanks for having me. So I want to start with Poshmark is in involved in the reselling area of, of where e-commerce is right now. And so, but you guys also have a very mobile social commerce focus. Do you mind just giving us a quick rundown of, of the background of Poshmark, basically how it got started um, and the, the, the origins of the company and, and then we can sort of work our way from there? Sure. So I think when, whenever you're, you're thinking of Poshmark, it's always helpful to, to ask that question that you just asked, um, because we're not just about the reselling market. We certainly do sell a lot of resale items on the platform, but we designed the experience to be a very different type of experience. And and how it all came about is um, about six years ago in in 2011, we decided to we we came up with the origins of what is now Poshmark, and um, and if you rewind your brain uh, to five six years ago, this is when. Uh, you know, iPhones, not everyone had them. Not everyone had a smartphone. Instagram had just launched and was starting to get uh, a little bit of traction out there. So we weren't taking selfies. We didn't know what they were. People weren't really using their phones for what they use it for today. And this is the time where we said, oh, let's, you know, let's launch a, a, an app that allows people to shop and, and sell on their phone. So it was a little bit of a, um, actually, it was a really huge bet that we made. Um, not only did we decide to focus on mobile, but we said we are only going to focus, focus on mobile. We're a really small team. And that's why we had to really focus. It's like, you can only do one thing well. So let's Let's do this one thing well. And this one thing is uh, is not just a place where you can shop, but we really focused on creating a place where people, and we focused initially on women, and now we have men. We focused on women and said, okay, um, how do we get you to launch your business on Poshmark? And this had not, or, or anywhere, this hadn't been done before. And we said, okay, we think with new technology, with mobile technology, and with some of the devices out there, we think it, it, the time's right and we can do it. So, um, so that led to a lot of decisions we made, which is, uh, very mobile focused and this shapes the entire user experience of both buying and selling on Poshmark. It also shapes that everything is built on social. Um, and what I mean by that is when you come on Poshmark, you're not just buying and selling, you're following other users. You are liking an item and, and giving us that data. You are sharing items. You're connecting with people. You're finding people who have the same preferences as you. And, um, the reason that's important is it, be, it transcends commerce. It transcends selling. It becomes, um, an everyday multiple times a day activity. So the way people use Poshmark today is so similar to how you might, log on to Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat, it's it's to connect to people, um, not necessarily just to shop. And of course, you can shop as well. Mm-hmm. So, so many of our roots have come from, from that time. And I, I think it's really interesting that you've mentioned both mobile-only approach to commerce as well as social commerce, because 
to this day, and, and like you said, 2011 wasn't that long ago on paper, but in terms of, you know, how we shop and, and the role that, that digital and social media and our phones play in our lives, it's changed a lot in such a short period of time. And so I want to start with the, with the mobile only approach. Um, you know, how has that evolved over the past six years? Um, at, you know, what's, as it's become more advanced and, and we, we just see so many companies who are now just realizing like, okay, people are actually going to be shopping on their phones. You know, how did that vantage point really help you guys as, as you've grown over the past six years? Because it's really hard. Everyone's very, very busy. They don't have, no one has time to um, do another chore or to think about things. And the advantage of, of mobile is um, uh, if you think about, okay, what do we do on our phones every day? We text our friends, we check Facebook, we snap a photo, um, and then we, you know, check Instagram, right? Those are all ways in which you're connecting with people. And then maybe you do a little bit of shopping. And so where Poshmark is playing is in that first bucket, not, not necessarily the second. So the, we have such high engagement. So our users, when they open the app, they're opening it seven to 10 times a day which is, looks a lot like a Pinterest, a Snapchat, an Instagram, and not so much like commerce. I, even your, fam, your favorite shopping apps or favorite shopping uh, websites, you typically don't go there every day and certainly not seven to 10 times a day. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. our decision to go mobile, the way it's just changed the, um, our experience and the way our shoppers experience the app is that they're coming seven to 10 times a day, not necessarily to shop, but to connect with others. And I, I think that's interesting because when I talk about mobile commerce, it's a it's a it's like a push and pull for for brands because unless you are something like Amazon, chances are people aren't really they don't really need to visit every single day, and so then the use case for the mobile app becomes harder to make. And so I, I think that ties in the social commerce angle as well. How did you make it a place where people would be compelled to keep visiting and keep coming back? And um, do you have any like you know insight on on how frequently people actually are doing that? Yeah, so I, th- I think you hit on a really great point. Um, really hard to launch a mobile experience or add a mobile experience if you don't really care about it. If it's an add-on to your business, it's so hard to put the resources and the attention into what it takes to really uh, launch and grow a mobile experience. For us, it was everything. And so we had to do it. It wasn't a matter of, this is a nice little technology piece we can add to engage the user. It was, we are going to be mobile and that's that's our entire business and, and really our, our our, our professional lives, um, uh, depends on this. And so really the reason we decided to go mobile is because we wanted to build a community. We wanted to, so before Poshmark, a lot of shopping, especially online came from people looking for things that they knew they already wanted. Mm-hmm. So if mm-hmm. I, if I want a pair of, uh, Tory Burch Riva flats, I can type that into, probably Google and I'll get a whole bunch of places that can sell it. And then I can shop for the right color, the right size and the right price. And that problem had been solved. And then, you know, over the years it's, it's getting solved better and better with, you know, Amazon is just emerging as a massive player in, in, in the search space. What has not been solved is how do you find the shoes that you don't even know you want, you know, or how do you find that brand that you don't even know to search for, but it's the perfect brand for you. And that's one of the things that we focused on solving. And so we said, uh, how do you find those things is you're walking down the street and you see someone walking in, in those perfect shoes and you run up to them and be like, tell me where you bought those. Or you have a friend who says, I found this boutique downtown in Portland 
and they have these amazing indie brands that you've never heard of, you should go visit it. So it's this word of mouth that people share their finds and they're so happy to share it with you. We built Poshmark to take that social experience online. And then the decision about mobile, it was like, well, you just have to be mobile. If you want people to talk to one another and you want it to be engaging and you want that rapid back and forth discussion, it has to be mobile. So that's the reason why we decided to go mobile. It was a secondary decision based on the fact that we wanted to build a very strong community. Right. And and I think in talking about that, you know, it's that inspiration that um, I'm not actively seeking out this pair of shoes, but, oh, that looks really nice. And, and, And so now I am actually on the hunt. And so why do you think that, so, but other brands are, they're, you know, they're on Instagram, they're on Pinterest they're and, but like captivating that, that center where, you know, an inspiration, um, or a moment of inspiration turns into an actual purchase. It's, it's really hard to, to really jump on that. And so, you know, where do you get, where does your, where does the Poshmark community fit in? Do you know, do you think that people are, have been just that community has sort of been retrained to look there instead of somewhere like um, Instagram or Pinterest. And when it comes to looking for, um, you know, inspiration and, and things like that. You know, I, I, I think that Instagram and Pinterest are amazing places for, for inspiration. And, um, and I don't think that uh, Poshmark is necessarily a replacement for that. There are a lot of brands that have beautiful um, imagery, beautiful aspirational images, and it's something that they do really well. Uh, what Poshmark does that adds to that is um, sometimes when you're when you're in the mood for inspiration, Instagram's amazing. You see these beautiful photos. You're, they're, the photos are often taken in very exotic locations that make you feel very wistful and and wanting to connect with a brand. Um, it, it's very hard to make a shopping decision based on that. It is so beautiful that. What we find is that um, it can almost seem inaccessible from a shopping perspective to a lot of um, shoppers. Mm-hmm. What we find on, on Poshmark is a lot of the images on Poshmark, the, particularly the sellers that do really well, uh, are, do a great job in inspirational photos as well. So they do borrow a little bit from social media, from Instagram, from the brands where you have to put a little bit of, of uh, creativity um, and, and style into your selling, right? A, a, a shirt or a top on a, on a mannequin or a hanger is not going to sell as well as something that's styled on a model. But what Poshmark sellers do really well is they, um, they make it inspirational, but not inaccessible. So it's almost like your, um, your best friend that's selling that top and not this really gorgeous model who is in Tahiti, you know, draped right. on a beach <laughs> somewhere, um, that is so beautiful to look at, but often it doesn't inspire uh, a purchase. Right. And it helps that the, uh, you know, the add to cart purchase button is, is right there on, on Poshmark. Yeah. So, and then also <laughs> like, it's like my best friend is wearing it and she looks amazing and there's no reason why I can't look just like that. And it's a little bit harder to look at Gigi Hadid and be like, Oh, I can look just like that. You know, it's, it's, it's harder for your everyday woman to relate to, uh, an Instagram supermodel. Right. Um, it's kind of taking the everyday life approach to, to influencers. <laughs> right. That, that, that's, that's, that's one way to describe Poshmark in a nutshell. <laughs> so are you surprised at just like at how slow that social commerce has, has come to fruition since we've been on Instagram for a while at this point and, and, you know, brands are, are all over it as well? You know, I'm, I'm not, um, it's, 
I, I definitely wish we'd all progress um, a little bit faster because I, I see so much promise there and, and I think shoppers are ready for it. Uh, what I've learned in my years in Poshmark is how different it is when you come from a commerce angle and how different it is when you come from a social angle. And so much of what we've worked so hard to do at Poshmark is to really understand how to bring those two together. And it's been really, really hard. Um, so I, I'd be lying to say that all our, you know, like Poshmark's doing really well right now and it's so easy to make it look easy, but it, it hasn't been. And we've had to make a lot of, um, decisions that, uh, have never been done before. And so all of those were very difficult to make. And through those series of decisions, we've gotten to where we are. But I, if I put myself in the shoes of a, of a brand on one side of commerce or a social network on the other side, uh, when it's not your core business, it's very hard to make those types of decisions. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely want to come back to those decisions in particular and, and the types of challenges and hurdles you guys have faced when you know, evolving over the past few years. But, but first I want to ask what, what is your relationship like with, with the brands that you sell? Is there, is there any sort of like data exchange going on there? Um, you know, how, just ha- how are you working with them? Sure. We, we work with, um, brands in a few ways. So, um, just, just a little bit of background is Poshmark. We we launched the company as uh, a place where anyone can launch a business. So we teach all of our sellers how to market, how to merchandise, how to price, et cetera. And it start, they start with using inventory that they have. So that is, you know, we started this podcast by talking about resale. Resale is just items that are in your closet. They could be brand new or they could be worn a few times. It doesn't really matter, but that's inventory that every single person has. So that makes everyone with a closet and a phone, a perfect candidate to start their business on Poshmark. Now, there are people who are happy selling $20 a, a month and making just a little extra cash. But what we do really well and, and what uh, the community has received really well is we teach you how to grow your business more and more. So what you're alluding to is we've uh, a whole bunch of our community have gotten to the point where they're like, okay, I'm now making $5,000. I'm making $6,000, $10,000. I want to grow my business more, but I've run out of inventory in my closet. And so we saw them go out to TJ Maxx or Nordstrom Rack or shop a clearance, buy inventory that they know is going to move and then resell it on Poshmark. So that's when uh, a few years ago we said, you know what, we should help them stock inventory more because we know brands are trying to clear more and more merchandise. And we have sellers that are willing to um, willing to sell it. And they are the ones that have these connections to the shoppers that are very uh, authentic and almost like peer recommendation. They're they're influencers. So we've been testing some relationships with brands. Today we offer, um, we're testing a, a wholesale marketplace. So we've partnered with some brands to sell wholesale to our, directly to our sellers, just like they would sell wholesale to any other specialty retailer. Um, and that's a private marketplace within our app that is invite only for both the seller side and the brand side. We're also testing, um, some consignment options. And, uh, and then the last thing we're testing is, uh, the ability for our sellers to partner with brands to launch a private label line. So that's something I'm really, that I'm working on that I'm really uh, excited about. Right. So that actually links right back to my, to my other question, that's like a, a, that's a big evolution for you guys. What, at what point were you like, Oh wait, this is like, this is going well beyond the existing closet, um, of our, of our 
community and our customers. Did you, did you foresee that coming? And, and how did you sort of pull off that pivot to, to working with these brands and, and, you know, creating like a more um, fully engaged marketplace? You know, Hillary, this doesn't happen very often in, especially in the tech world, but this was always part of our plan. And so six years into operation, we have not, we have not gone off course at all. This Mm -hmm. was in our, we, I actually went back and checked when we, we raised our first round of financing, um, off of a PowerPoint. It was just vision. And we're just like, we're going to build this marketplace. It's going to be social. We're going to build this community. Um, and we knew in order to build that, you really, to build a marketplace, you need to build the platform, but then get the supply and the demand and then match it. So it's, it's a pretty difficult thing, task to take on as a startup. So we knew we needed a little bit of extra capital to do it. And I went back and I looked at that deck that, that we put and it's, it's a little bit embarrassing because it's early and it's scrappy. The mm-hmm. colors are terrible. So the visual design looks, what looks, looks gross, <laughs> but, um, but the vision in there was, uh, we wanted to build a platform that would mass enable, um, at that time, women to launch businesses. And we wanted them to become the next sales force for all of fashion. And the way to get them started is to start with items from their closet. And because we knew that resale was a conduit for activation, but it's a pipeline to create more and more uh, professional sellers, mm-hmm. we have stuck to our course. And that's why we've never marketed ourselves or we've never, um, even to our community, we don't talk about ourselves as a resale marketplace because we're not. We always say that we are focused on helping women build their fashion businesses. And it doesn't matter what type of inventory. We've never said you will only sell luxury inventory. You will only sell mass market. We've never editorialized or merchandised. We're just launching more and more tools Mm -hmm. for our sellers to sell whatever it is they want. And increasingly more and more sellers want to partner with brands and sell brand new merchandise. And I'm glad you brought that up because it it feels like that it would be hard to to pull off on the, you know, specifically luxury side. Do you think that, you know, when it, when it comes to the brands that you work with, like what, what type of brands are interested in this wholesale relationship with, with the Poshmark community? And, and do you think that that would, that would be harder to do in the luxury space? I do. I do. It's most, many, many brands are not ready to partner with a platform like Poshmark. Um, many brands are, And, uh, and we're okay with that because we don't want to push a brand beyond what they're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. So I understand, and and we have many brands that we've talked to that are very interested in the phenomenon of social selling and, and how we've got two and a half million sellers who have built, uh, millions of connections to shoppers that are on their phone. So this is like gold for most brands. So I I've seen over the last two years, brands getting more and more interested in learning more about Poshmark. Uh, I think the world of user generated selling and social selling is still scary for a lot of brands. Um, particularly as they're just getting used to the idea that the full price model might not be working the way they want it to be working anymore. Um, or advertising is not working the way they were. So, so the, and retail obviously. So there's a lot going on in the industry that is scaring brands and they know that something needs to change. Um, and we're just behind the scenes building our business with the brands that are innovative and want to experiment and be early adopters of this new, uh, social selling force Mm -hmm. and we'll, we'll be there, you know? So, so I do think the luxury brands to answer your question are having a hard time with it. 
Um, but they are also really savvy and smart, the ones I've talked to, and they are, uh, they're watching this and, and trying to think through how it fits into their overall strategy. And I think that raises a really good point about luxury or not luxury, but just wholesale relationships with brands. You know, a lot of them are are sort of reconsidering, you know, do I, do I go on Amazon or do I go full direct to consumer? And it's kind of all over the place in terms of where a brand and, and retailer can be. And so how do you like, what, what are the, what, um, what are the perks of, selling through these, these people and any, what are the risks? Like what, if they are nervous about it, what are, you know, what's their main concerns? So the, the perks are distribution and access. We have, uh, millions of sellers that it's almost like, uh, we have our own set of Instagram influencers. They have uh, a following of people who follow them specifically for their style. Uh, even better than Instagram is they're following them on a network that is um, that's premised on purchasing. So if you imagine a world where you you know Poshmark is millions of influencers where all these mobile shoppers are following them to shop, it's like why wouldn't a brand want to access that influencer, right? It's it's a goldmine, um, it, especially with the millennial generation that is not responding as well to advertisements and they prefer very authentic communication. Um, they prefer hearing from their friends. Um, what is the new, you know, style or color or brand that they should be hearing about. Poshmark has all of that influence in the form of our sellers. So that's the promise is distribution to mobile shoppers that are interested in influence-based shopping. I think the scary part for a lot of brands is, um, is lack of control. So in order to, in order to, I mean, if you want to work with one influencer, then it's very easy to control it. But how do you, how do you really leverage a platform like Poshmark is we put you in the hands of many influencers. And so with, with, uh, volume and with, uh, increasing distribution comes less control. And, uh, and that can be very scary. So question, you know, the question we get a lot with brands that they care a lot about is who am I going to sit next, next to? Mm-hmm. And to me, I understand the question, um, but in this new form of um, digital connection and uh, social media, that question is is really, I think, a question of yesterday. So uh, I think a lot of brands are going to really have to think through why why am I concerned about brand adjacency and and do I want to hold on to that as the as the world is really shaping up for tomorrow. That's interesting because it almost seems like brands are becoming more worried about their brand adjacency and, and who they're surrounded by because that that brand cachet and and that positioning there that's the direct um, impression that the, that the customer is getting. But but would you say that the the customer will who's on Poshmark is sort of understands the way that it that it works almost? It's not a traditional marketplace by any means. <laughs> Correct. It's so hard to control your content these days. Like, so for example, on, on Instagram, if you're a brand, you have no idea what's coming before or after you on, on someone's feed. Right. It's impossible. Right. And it's personalized for each, for each user. So, um, so as we, as we and, and brands get used to the fact that content is getting mixed and matched and consumers actually, they like this because it is catered for them. It's personalized for them. And, and that connection is more important than this brand is of this press price point is next to another price point. Like that kind of, um, uh, 
diversity is something that is being welcomed more and more by shoppers. Mm-hmm. And especially going back to the question of, or the matter of inspiration and, and, you know, the, just the different ways that people are getting these touch points with brands. It's, it's all over the place. It's not like people are carving out their time to go to the department store anymore. That's right. That's um, right. And, and so going back to the, the Poshmark relationship with its community, what uh, customer data, like what have you learned about, about these people? Um, you know, who's likely to be a seller or, or a buyer on, on Poshmark and, and just what have you learned about the specific group of people who are very willing to embrace this, uh, uh, like a social selling type of platform? That's such a good question. And I'll, I'll admit to you that when we first started Poshmark, I had my own personal preconceived notions about who would, who would sell. And I'm so happy to, to say that our community has just blown all of those preconceptions out of the water. So I thought, so my, my prior life before Poshmark, I was a merchant. So I, I made a career off of uh, presumably knowing what people would shop for at what price and and how to present it and things like that. And uh, when we started Poshmark, I saw a whole bunch of items come across um, the platform that I thought, well, that's really expensive. And uh, I'm not sure there's a market for that. And I kept all these to myself, of course, because, you know, we're building a community and, and, and you know, the tenant of community is respect for others. And I learned really quickly that um, I have no idea what's going to sell. <laughs> I would make predictions in my head and I was wrong every single time. That bracelet that I thought was priced too high actually sold really fast because it was extremely unique. And the shopper could not find it anywhere else and was willing to pray, pay a premium. And she liked what I what I presumed to be a dated style. She really loved. And, uh, and, and so I was like, who am I to say what someone wants or doesn't want? And that has um, led us to really build a platform to support our sellers to sell whatever it is and let them have those relationships with their buyers. And, you know, they can adjust their pricing. They can adjust their their merchandising accordingly. Um, so what have I learned? I think the biggest thing I learned is that uh, a very um, I've learned to be a lot humbler in the merchandising world and just not think that my personal uh, or my point of view can possibly encompass everyone's tastes and needs. Um, and I've, that's enabled me and, and the team to let go of editorial. You know, it's, it's so hard. You want to take what you perceive to be your best content and put in an email and send it out and delight what you think to be the, you know, all your customers. And the truth is you're going to alienate so many people if you take a point of view. So we're now a very humble merchandising team. Um, and we just focus on using data and algorithms to connect people to each other. And we don't insert our own point of view into, into style. That's, that's really interesting. And definitely, you know, a a different approach. I think that so many brands are, are talking about having this strong point of view, this very strong story so that customers know what to go to them for and, and what makes them stand out from the rest. Um, but obviously you guys are in a very different position, but what do you think it says about the existing, it's almost like the hierarchy of like the, the merchant, um, who is, or the merchandiser who is, you know, curating the selection and the editorial team that is really projecting a strong point of view. Do you think that, you know, where does that leave them? Oh, I think, you know, I think a very strong point of view and beautiful brands aren't going to die. I, and I, I, I myself, I, I fall in love with brands too. And I, I love creative direction. I, I, I love innovation and, um, 
the people who can do that kind of stuff, I have a lot of respect for. And without those people, Poshmark wouldn't, wouldn't be around, uh, because they build the, the aspiration of brands. They build our love for all the brands that we know about. Um, I think that for us, we're a platform and we have very, uh, very large ambitions on how, who we want to be, how many people we want to touch. And I think when you have very large ambitions like that, you have to relax, um, what kind of brand you want to stand for, because you want to, uh, you want to be a brand for many people, not just one small group. And that's the, that's the challenge is that, uh, many of the brands that you think of as, as amazing brands have a strong voice that speaks to a small group of people and alienates everyone else. And so, yeah, when you want to be a huge platform, how do you become a strong brand that encompasses lots of people. Mm-hmm. And so we made ours about community and about being a safe place where you can be entrepreneurial and inspired and, uh, focus on the positive aspects. We call it posh love, right? So it's all about, um, helping one another. So when you sell on your, on the platform, you actually have to help other people and then they will help you. And that's, so our brand actually has very little to do with, uh, fashion itself. Interesting. And, but then they, that comes down to the individual sellers. They, they have to sort of carve out their point of view and, and have their, their messaging to appeal to, you know, the, the, whoever they're going to appeal to in the community. Yeah. So they, each seller has her own, it's almost like she's a boutique. So each boutique merchandises a certain way, uh, can create, uh, a feel of her storefront. She can decide that she's this price point and wants to make it consistently that way. She can say, I'm, I service the plus size user only. She can do whatever she wants from a creative and merchandising standpoint. What we do is we're behind the scenes saying, okay, we'll give you the tools to do all of that. Um, but we want you to have really good customer service and we want you to offer these types of things because we want a consistent shopping experience across the entire platform. So one of the really cool things about Poshmark is that unlike a lot of other really big marketplaces, every time you buy from Poshmark, you're actually buying from the company. And so like on your credit card statement, it'll say Poshmark on it. And because we have built payments and shipping and customer service and all of our infrastructure, we to directly interface with the shopper or between the shopper and the seller, we can guarantee every single transaction on Poshmark. Mm-hmm. And, and this is one of the um, things that we've learned too, is that when shopping, people just want simplicity and they want it to be easy and fast and simple. And so one of the things we did is we're like, okay, one payment, one shipping, uh, one customer service. Once you shop on Poshmark, you know how it goes and you can trust the platform. And so those are the things that we're pretty adamant about, but then the creative control, we allow the the sellers. Right. It's, it's definitely about trust and it's also, it's an Amazon world. So you have to have that, those, those high standards. Sure. Great. Tracy, we're almost out of time, but I, I just, I do want to ask, do you sell out of your own closet in your own Poshmark store? I do. I do. Um, and I, I've sold, I've sold a lot of shoes that were too high for me. I've sold things that I bought for that, you know, one day I'm going to wear it and that day never came. Um, I'm really good about keeping my wardrobe pared down. Uh, doesn't, I don't shop. It means that I get rid of things that I don't wear, uh, after a year. Uh, I've also partnered with some brands and I've sold some of their items as well. Um, I try to have a lot of fun with it and, and make sure it's, it's just now part of my life. 
Yeah. And it's almost like being a secret shopper. <laughs> People don't realize that they're buying from the, the co-founder of the company or maybe they do. <laughs> some of them, I don't, I don't think some of them know and I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, great. Well, thank you again so much for, for joining us. It was great having you. Thanks for having me, Hillary. That's all the time we have. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. And in the meantime, be sure to follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play and leave us any feedback you have. 